Hello. Good morning. Nice to see all of you. I hope you are well. Today, we're in the middle of this series called Not for Nothing, looking at just this idea that this life we live and ourselves within it, it's not for nothing. And I'm going to let you know that you're going to hear a lot of like scientific jargon at some points today. If that makes your eyes roll to the back of your head, sorry, um, but it's, it's still going to happen. And here's why. Uh, it, it's because I think there's some amazing things that happen when you start to look at some of what scripture says and you hold that up against the natural world and you start to recognize like, wow, there's so much potential for who we are as individuals when we step into our lives. And I just want to talk with you about some of that. So that's what's coming right now, though. Um, you know, let me tell you a story. Years ago, I was in uh, my college classes studying theology. I was in this class. It was all about life. And not like how to practically live your life, but what is this thing that we call life? Does it have a purpose? Does it have a point? Like all of that stuff. And then how does the world see that? And all these different things. I got this assignment. I was supposed to go walk through the streets of downtown Chicago, find 10 random people and interview them with these five questions that were all designed to see how they perceive and understand life. And so that was really awkward. People in Chicago are great at not talking to you. And so I, found, I was like, where do I go where somebody might actually want to talk and this might go okay. So I went to Borders Bookstore, which is a lot like Barnes & Noble, if you don't know what that is. And I went to the third floor of a Borders Bookstore and they had this like coffee lounge up top and there's this guy up there and he's reading uh, in one of the chairs. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, you know, I'm awkward. Excuse me, sir. Uh, I'm in this class studying, you know, theology. Can I ask you questions about just like life and purpose real quick? I, I need it to write a paper. And he just looks up at me very calmly says, Yes, sure. And leans back in his chair. And I was like, wow, that was really nice. So I sit down and I ask him the first question. I sat across from him and I said, okay, first question is this. Does life have a point to it? Is there a purpose to this thing that we call life? And if so, what is it? Now I'd ask a couple of people that up to this point. I mean, can you imagine a random person coming up and being like, what is the point of life? Like you, it's a big question. Most people would go, whoa, that was a way bigger question than I was anticipating. And they pause and they reflected and didn't always have an answer. This guy just exhales, leans back in his chair and begins to talk. Like he'd been waiting the entire week to just be asked this question. And it wasn't quick. He said this like he was just breathing out his own experience. And this is what he said. He said, life just happens. It just is. You're born, you grow, and the moment you stop growing, you start dying. Hopefully, you find a way to endure it so that you don't find yourself at the end of your life dying a miserable person. And I thought he was joking. Judging by some of your faces, you did too. Like, you're waiting for the punchline. There isn't one. I looked at him, and I thought he was joking. And so I said, oh, that, that's it? And he goes, leans back further in his chair and looks at me and goes, that's it. I found myself at that particular moment just wanting so badly to have that be the valedictorian speech at a graduation, just so I could watch the audience, right? Can you imagine being there for that particular moment? It'd be chaos, it'd be crazy, and it'd be very entertaining. So I, I've just found myself thinking, well, that's crazy. And, and yet, this is what he genuinely and honestly thought. And so I continued to ask him some questions, and I walked away from that conversation, really hoping and thinking that that man needed Jesus. And it's because there was kind of a bleakness to the way he looked at life and himself, and there, everything was just kind of downtrodden and gray, and you just, you do this thing. And I don't agree with him, and I know many of you are looking at me going like, wow, really? I don't agree with that either, but here's the thing. We laugh, we might smile at that interaction, we might find ourselves kind of confused by it, but here's why I shared it with you. I think if we're honest, and I mean this, I think if most of us are honest, there are times in our lives where we find ourselves not necessarily believing what that man said was true, but living like what he said was true. Life just happens. You grow and you just need to 
You know, you grow and eventually you die and you just need to endure it. Find a way to endure the thing so that you don't end up miserable. And you would look and go, I don't, I don't live that way. Maybe. At times do we not find ourselves in spaces, places, seasons of our lives where it feels like life is happening around us, but we're just not a part of it? Where it feels like we've just been biding our time, doing our thing, where it feels like for whatever reason, life is an endurance race. Like it's something you just need to get through. How many of us, regardless of the last few years, because what I would say is, have the last few years not felt a little like that for some of us when it comes to life? But then also, how many of us, regardless of the last few years, would look at this and we've simply found ourselves living in a season of life that for whatever reason, good, right, whether you chose it real, like, you know, honestly, or you just kind of fell into it, I don't know. It, it feels that way. I see this around me. I love talking to parents with little kids, especially if they've got like multiple kids under the age of five all in one household. And because there's just this wide-eyed piece to it where they're like, it's so good, I love it. And I'm like, you should tell your face, right? Because... There's this piece where you, you get it. They like love being parents and it's a really beautiful thing, but there's a part of them that's like, what have we done? Like it was like a bomb went off in the middle of my life and everything changed. Like, what did I do? And there's this other piece that starts to come out with parents. And this can be of kids of any age where it's like, when did I lose myself along the way? When did I become a parent, but not a me in this? And it's not that those are always two separate things, but you know what that might feel like, or at the very least, maybe you can imagine. A place that this shocked me that people experience this is retirement. Right? Because if I've never been retired. So we, if you haven't been retired, you always look at retirement as like, that's when you get to do whatever you want, right? Like that's when you get to that space. And then I would talk to people who retire and they would look at me with kind of a clenched jaw being like, no, it's great. It's wonderful. I love it. And I'm like, this feels weird. What's happening? Finally, someone had the courage to be honest with me. And they said, you know, it's weird. You wake up every day and for every day you had this place to go to, this thing to do. And it kind of gave yourself, your life, a sense of trajectory, purpose, and meaning. And now you just you don't have it anymore and you have to figure out what that is in a different way. And all of a sudden it started to make sense why sometimes people struggle a little bit in the beginning of that season. Or the situation I think I observe most people, regardless of your circumstance, your age, where you're at, saying is, you know what? You just got to put your head down and you just got to get through it. Like a pandemic. Like a crazy season of life. Like a difficult relationship that you're in like a job that sucks the life out of you or like a relationship that you're a part of that with each passing day, it's like you feel a little smaller as a human inside of it, right? What do you hear in those moments? Well, you just, this is life. It's not always great. And you just got to put your head down and you've just got to get through it. And you know, that's actually true sometimes. That's a part of, of life. That's an honest thing to say, but sometimes we say that for far too long. And the next thing we know, we end up living our lives in such a way where our lives look a little more like what that guy in the Borders coffee shop was describing than many of us would be comfortable ever acknowledging or admitting. And there's a part of us that wants to know that it's not for nothing. You know, there's this commonality of all those circumstances I described, and it's, it's life. Each of us are like standing on, an, on a street corner staring at an intersection called life, trying to describe it in our own words. And we know that life is happening. We know that it deeply matters. Like we know life is important, and yet sometimes it does. It's not that... Is life important? It's when did we stop being in the middle of life? When did we stop being in the middle of our lives or feeling fully alive in those things? 
And sometimes it can feel like we've gotten lost or subdued or quieted or we've shrunk down. Last week, Glenn talked about this idea that your life is a precious gift meant to be fully lived. That is a deep belief that we hold around here. Life is good. It's there. It's for you. If you're struggling with that, wrestling with that, go back and listen to that message. That's for you. This week, though, we're going to talk about this idea, not that life is not for nothing, but that you are not for nothing. You, the occupant of your life. The one square in the middle of it, you are not for nothing. Jesus tells us that he came that we may have life and have it to the full. And I think sometimes in churches we need a reminder of this because oftentimes we convince ourselves that Jesus came so that one day we could go to the good place and this place stinks. But that's not what he said, is it? What did he say? He came that we may have life. When does life start? Well, life has already started. Here you now are. That we may have life and have it to the full because of who he is and because of what he offers us. Life is something, guys, that we were, meant, we were created to drink it in. We were created to savor it, to taste it, to relish in it. We were created to work through it, to thrive within it, to grow and to become. Life is this precious journey and your life is yours uniquely and no one else will ever live your life but you, as you. And so this morning, I want to acknowledge that you are not for nothing because God has created you and made you in a certain way. I want to acknowledge two things. And for some of us, maybe this will be teaching. For some of us, what I'm doing might be just reminding us, but it's of these two things. And the two things are this, how you are made and that you are sustained. And if that doesn't make sense, I promise it will. And we're going to look at a lot of the natural world and we're going to look at two passages out of the scriptures that highlight some of this. And here's why. It's because right now, this is more than just an intellectual exercise for each of us. Right now, each and every one of you sit here because you are square in the midst of your life. You are holding a precious gift in your hands. And it's not a thing that's outside of you. It's a thing that you stand squarely in the middle of. And I hope that you come to recognize that you are not for nothing as you step into it. So let's begin. And let's talk about how each of us are made. I want you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Psalm 139. As you turn there, here's the first point for this morning. I'm only going to have two. The first is this. You are uniquely created. You are uniquely created. And I don't say that to you as a group of people. I say that to you as individuals in this room. You are uniquely created. Psalm 39 is right in the middle of your Bibles. It's right smack in the Old Testament, if you're unfamiliar with it. The book of Psalms is a collection of Hebrew poetry, right? Often sung or meditated upon, recited. That that was this collection of Hebrew poetry. And I love it because what the Psalms can do is illustrate things about the human experience and about how God is and how we relate to him and how he he interacts and relates with us using metaphor and imagery, all the good things that poetry can do in ways that help us see it differently. Right? More than just like a textbook answer, it paints pictures. We get to see this in perhaps new ways. And so we'll get to see some of this today. This psalm was written by a guy named David. Now, for the sake of today, you don't need to know a ton about David. I don't need to like, give you a ton of history, but I do want you to know a couple of things. And it's generalized. It's this. I want you to know that David, in his life, he lived a very up and down and complicated but amazing life. David knows what it is to be the youngest, the smallest, the one that no one would have ever noticed and that would have often been overlooked. But he also knows what it is to be a king, to be at the top of something, to be a person that everybody else looked to and depended on. David knows what it is to be a leader. He also knows hard things. David knows what it is to lose a loved one, not just one, several. He knows grief. David would have known disappointment and suffering and hardship. David even knew what it was like to live in hiding from danger, feeling like something was creeping at his door. 
But David also knew what it was to live in peace, what it was to have victory, what it was to overcome something and stand on the other side of it. He knew these things. David knew what guilt felt like, what struggle felt like, and disappointment felt like. But he also knew grace and love in the goodness of God. I share all of this with you because I want you to see that David, he's like me. He's like you. He stood amidst the fullness of the complexity of all that life had to offer, and he experienced so much of it. And this is the person writing the psalm. It's in all of that complexity, just like me, just like you, just like our lives, that he writes the following words. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13, says this. David speaking about God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I want to walk back through this, kind of verse by verse, so that we catch what he's saying here. Verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. The Old Testament, the original language of the Old Testament is actually Hebrew. And the Hebrew translation, if we were to translate this literally, would say, you made my kidneys, which would make for a really fun reading in churches, right? You made my kidneys. In the ancient Hebrew culture, they didn't have all of this understanding, modern understanding of the body the way we do. And so when they thought of the human consciousness of what made you uniquely you, they thought of it to be somewhere in your guts, somewhere in your depths. You made my kidneys. Jeremiah makes this same reference as well. It's not just a one-off moment in the scriptures. What's being said here is that the deepest parts of who you really are, that God created those with intention and purpose. That the deepest parts of what make you, you, and I'm not talking about just in general as a human being, I mean you specifically, you. More than just physicality even, sure, your physical side, but also with soul and heart and passion and desire, the things that make you uniquely you, that he formed those things, formed with intention by God. God made you to be you. That is a profound message that I don't think we often think about. I know it seems really simple. God made you to be you. Verse 14 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's weird to think of God fearfully making us, isn't it? It's not as though God God was standing there going like, I'm really nervous about this. I'm so scared and "Ah, I made you. I don't know. I always imagine God with a wand making us. It's, It's not how it is. But like, It's weird to think about all of that, right? That God was fearfully making us. Here's what it really means. It's not this sense of like fear the way we would think of it. It's this sense of deep respect. There's a sense of reverence in this piece. When it says that you are fearfully made, it means that with reverence and respect and awe, God made you. That's a powerful thing to think about. I want you to think about anything that you care about that perhaps in your life you have created right? And it could be anything for many of us. We all have like our different things. For me, sometimes the things that I create, I love to cook. And so sometimes I'll go about making a meal and there's a sense of, of all these different things and energy and all this stuff that goes into it. And I care so much about it because it's all coming together for one beautiful thing at the very end. And then you'll make this. And with a sense of like respect, right? I'll, I'll serve it to somebody and be like, I want to bless you with this. And then they'll dump ketchup all over it and be like, get out, right? Not really, and if you ever go to my house and have mail, you can dump ketchup up on whatever you want. You're fine. But, right, there's this, there's this sense of like, I made this, 
And I love this. And there's a respect you have because you're, you've put yourself into it and it reflects something back about you. You are fearfully made. You're also wonderfully made. The word wonder or wonderfully made in the Hebrew sense of the word, it's to actually distinguish. It's not just to be like, isn't that great? It's to distinguish and to set apart, to say that something is, is actually different, almost in a category and class all of its own in a wonderful kind of way. This is speaking to a beautiful kind of uniqueness. You, friends, are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to ask you, when was the last time you stood in front of a mirror and you saw these deeper truths and what you saw there? Too often what happens is we stand in front of a mirror and we look at who we are and maybe we even reflect on internally who we are. And all we see are the things we ought to be, should be, aren't yet, what we were last year that we're not now or what someone else might think of us. And we forget that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if we do this sometimes because we get confused over whose opinion actually matters most and we choose their own thing. I wonder if sometimes we do this because we've Come to a mirror looking for the wrong thing when the truth that God has for us, the wonder, the beauty, the awe, the gift of it all is right there for us each and every time. This is for you, verse 14. But then the next verse, verse 15, acknowledges that though we were hidden from this world, when we were being formed in our mother's womb, we were never hidden from God. In all of your intricacy, in all of it that makes you uniquely you, he sees it all, was a part of it all, is in and through it all. Then verse 16 goes on and it states, though having no form, we were given form and that the form we now possess was for a reason. He says he looks and he saw all the days of our lives, all the things that were before us. And he, he had that in mind when he created us to be the unique creation that we actually are. What does this mean? It means that God formed you with intention and purpose and he placed you in exactly the life that you would live with what you need to live it as you. Not as the perfect human being, not as the one everyone else wants you to be, as you, uniquely you, for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are purposeful, intricate, and specific. Why? Because of God. Because he created and made you this way. When was the last time your head pop off, popped off the pillow in the morning and you brought this to your day? What would it change? I think it would change a lot of things. You know, we see this in the natural world. We see this in our own human bodies. Your body is made up of cells, right? Most of us know this from just kind of an elementary science level, your body is made up of cells. In fact, your body is made up of roughly estimated 37.2 trillion cells. 37.2 trillion cells within your body. And within each and every one of those 37.2 trillion cells contains DNA, individual DNA, which if you don't know what DNA is, it's formed in like a, it's called a double helix. Just imagine a ladder, twist the ladder, lots of rungs growing up. On this particular ladder, which exists in every cell, is DNA. That's the thing that makes you uniquely and utterly you. It's genetic coding with all kinds of information. Do you know how many rungs are in those ladders? Three billion rungs in each ladder within every single cell that exists within your body. All that is telling your body, like a supercomputer and a 3D printer combined, how to renew, replicate, and recharge this thing by making more and more cells constantly so that you continue to be exactly the person that you are. Isn't that crazy? If you were to take a single strand of the DNA within you, your unique DNA, because here's the truth, the person sitting next to you, they don't have your DNA. There's some commonalities, but the truth is each of us have a unique set of DNA inside of every one of those cells did I mention in 37.2 trillion cells in your body. And if you were to look, no human being throughout the course of history has had what you now have coursing in you. You're it. The only exception to this is perhaps identical twins who tend to be 
carbon co DNA copies of one another. That's the only exception to the rule here. For the most part, every human being who has ever lived and will ever live has a uniqueness, a unique set of DNA that's built inside of them. If you took that DNA, just one single strand of that thing out of one single cell and you stretched it out, it would be 50 trillionths of an inch wide. Not very wide, but it would be six feet long. If you took all the DNA that's contained within a human body and you stretched it out end to end, it would measure twice the diameter of the entire solar system. That's huge, friends. It'd equal 80 billion miles of genetic coding. It would reach from the earth to the sun and back again four times. And this will date me, but in your body, your DNA contains more organized information than an entire set of encyclopedias. Some of you are like, what is an encyclopedia? Ask your parents. And that approximates to roughly 44 million words. That's all in you. That's what's in you right now. In each and every single cell that occupies you is all the things that make you exactly you, the intricacy, the detail compressed into this thing that is you. That's powerful. I mean, I'm filled with wonder just looking at all of that and thinking of that. Your body, your DNA contains all of that information and is constantly processing that in such a way that you continue to be you. Renewed, recycled, all of that stuff. Cell after cell, moment after moment. He formed you with purpose and intention so that only you would be the you that lives the life that only you will live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what's staring you in the face every day when you look in the mirror. That's what's occupying your chair. That's what's it's you right now. That's just the physical side. There's also soul. There's so much we could talk about, and I would keep you here all day. Friends, you are uniquely created, and I want you to know it. That brings me to the second thing here today. Second point for the morning is this. You are uniquely sustained. I know we don't think about it this way very often. It's kind of interesting. You are uniquely sustained. You know, the first, uh, the first uh, book, not book, the book of Colossians, chapter one is what I'm trying to say here. In the book of Colossians, it's found in the New Testament. It's written by Paul. In the first chapter of Colossians, Paul writes these words, beginning at verse 16. I love this. These are some of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. For by him all, and it's speaking of Christ, by the way, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And then here's my favorite part. And in him, in Christ, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. And I want to focus on that last part, all things hold together. You see, the reason this is really significant, because a lot of times we're like, God created me with purpose and intention. I get that. Like he knitted me together in my, in my you know, mother's womb. Like I, I was made to be fearfully and wonderfully made. And then I started my life and this whole train wreck began and all that is lost. No, no, no. In him, all things hold together. There's something really special, really important here. You see, it's not just that we were created and set in motion and then God pushed us out to sea like a Viking funeral, right? We were created, we were set in motion and then Christ said, I'm gonna stay with this and he has been holding each and every part of what makes you, you together as you have navigated your life, which means he is in this, with you, through this. When we think of the phrase, hold all things together, I bet you we think of things, if you're like me, like glue, or adhesive, duct tape, right? Because when I go, man, I got to hold it all together. What I'm referring to is there's a bunch of stuff that's like coming apart and I need something that's going to hold it all together. 
I just put my Christmas tree away like two weeks ago. I have a plastic tree that goes back into a box. And every year, I don't know how your tree works, but we get it out of the box. And then I go to put it back in. And I'm like, how did this tree fit in this box? And then I'm bear hugging the thing and bending it and wrestling it back into the box. And it makes you itchy for like a year. I don't understand what's happening with it. And then in the end, it still doesn't fit in the box. And so I do this thing where I like compress it in, bear hug it. And then I sit on the box and then I hug the box and I yell, Amber, I need your help. That's my wife. She comes in with duct tape and just starts taping the box as fast as she can so that we can hold it there so that it can live in the garage for another 12 months. And then it broke, all the tape broke, and I had to do the whole thing again because it doesn't want to hold together and I need stronger tape so that all things can be held together. That's how I think of it. I know, maybe not you, just me. I think of it that way. This isn't the, he, this isn't the Greek understanding. The New Testament was written in the original language of Greek. And when they write this, this idea, all things held together, it's actually with order and purpose. It conveys the idea that everything is beautifully put in its right place in a way that you can trust it. It's not a box bursting at the seams. It's not that you're a hot mess who needed duct tape. Friends, some of you just need to hear me say this. You are not duct taped when it comes to who you are in your life. You're not held together with duct tape and glue. You are formed, sustained, held together by Christ himself in this powerful kind of way. You know, when we observe our world, Anything that has physical substance, we call matter. Again, we learned most of this probably in elementary school, so if you've forgotten. Anything that's physical substance, we refer to from a scientific basis as matter. And matter is made up of these building blocks, right? These building blocks are called atoms. Atoms, essentially, are the building blocks that form all of matter. And that has been just what we have taught and known and understood for a very, very long time. So you, your chair, this room, all kinds of, all made up of what? Atoms, right? Well, Here's the crazy thing about atoms, since they're the building blocks that even you are made up of. Do you know that if you were able to freeze an atom and look at it as a static, as a static thing, atoms are 99.99999 and so on percent empty space. You're barely even here. You think about that? Atoms are 99.99999 and so on percent empty space. There's these protons and neutrons in the center of this. There's electrons that are swirling around within the atom, but the bulk of the thing itself is basically empty space. And yet, here you sit upon your chair, trusting the full weight of it, when it's the same thing. Sitting upon that thing, trusting it to stay together, to hold you. When they look at this, what they found is that the reason we don't experience atoms as empty space, and the reason they're, they're kind of not, when you actually look at how they work, is those electrons in there are moving so quickly that they form what's called electron clouds. The best way to think of that is to think of a swarm of bees, right? A bee is a very small thing, but when you look at an entire swarm with all that energy and movement, if you were to pause it, press pause, and just freeze the swarm, it'd be mostly empty air, but that's not what you see, and it's not what you experience. It's like a dark cloud moving towards you. The same is happening with electrons within an atom to the degree that all of that energy is harnessed. All of that energy is contained, specific, and forced into space in a way that you remain uniquely you, the chair remains uniquely the chair, and you're fine with all of it. We look around and we're like, it's just life, and yet everything is moving. Everything is in motion. Everything has a kind of energy that's humming and buzzing within this thing. All of it. Well, there's a group of people that historically have wanted to say, well, man, if I could just figure out the smallest of pieces, then I could understand what this whole thing is and how the whole thing works. And so they've, they've said, how do you split an atom? 
all right? This is theoretical physicists or uh, subatomic particles and all of that stuff. And so they tried, they said, maybe if we could split an atom, we could find two smaller components. And if we could split that, we could find smaller components. And if we got to the smallest thing, we'd understand how this whole thing works, this thing we call life, me, you, all of it, and what it's built on and out of. And so the idea was you'd be able to stack all the blocks up. Well, they've split it and they've split it and they've split it. We have gotten very, very ridiculously small. And you know what they found once you got down to the smallest of levels here? Is that the world doesn't actually stack like blocks the way that we think it it does. The world isn't this clean, ordered, static, structured thing the way that we think it is. Do you know some of those particles will just disappear out of existence at times and go someplace? And then reappear? Where did they go? Nobody knows. We don't understand. Sometimes it will disappear and then reappear in a different place without traveling the space between. How does that work? Did your head just explode? It should have. We don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense. And yet it's observable. It happens. Sometimes you can split a a particle and you can actually have one part of the particle be in a completely different location than another part and you can alter how this one works and the other one will begin to work the exact same way despite the fact that nobody messed with it. As though they're joined by some kind of cosmic energy or force that's holding both of these things together. There are things moving, disappearing, like moving and transferring from space and time. This is you, friends. I'm not just talking about the air around you. It's in all of us. This is everything all the time. At best, what people have begun to say, and if you're like starting to be like, this is a lot, I know. At best, what people are able to say is, you know what it seems like when we talk about what all of this is? Matter at its basic level is just energy and relationship, bound in relationship to one another, held together in relationship to one another. Let's go back and read Colossians now. I think we're ready. For by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, sometimes we wake up to our lives and we have this sense, it's just another day. And you don't recognize the fact that you're like a living, breathing, walking miracle filled with all that complexity. All of that goodness that makes you uniquely you so that only you will live the life that you were created to live. But even beyond that, we forget that when we step out into that life, that Christ is holding us, sustaining us, literally from an atomic level, guys, literally from a theoretical subparticle level, you are bound as you because God has things he wants to do in this world and in your life through you that only you will do and he created you to be able to do it. Your life has purpose and meaning and intention And I just have to wonder, what would happen if we woke up like that? What would happen if we actually brought that to our lives and our relationships and the people we care about most? What would happen if we stepped into our life in a different way? Friends, do you see? You are not for nothing. This isn't me overinflating you. This is me acknowledging God. Your life has purpose, meaning, and you were created to live it. You are not for nothing. So now let's go back to the beginning of the message today with that man in the bookstore, right? And he looks at me and he says, this is life. Just is. Just happens. Right? You're born and you grow and the moment you stop growing, you die. And hopefully you find a way to endure the whole thing so that you don't end your life as a miserable person. Let's go back to that moment. 
that quote. Here's the truth. You can live that way if you want to. I just want you to know that. Like, that's a real thing. You can live that way if you want to, but I want you to recognize that that's a choice. If you choose to, you absolutely can live that way. You can wake up each day to greet the monotony of the day that you left before as though you said goodnight to it and now you woke up to continue just more of the same thing in the endurance race that is your life. You can move about your life while the world spins on around you and you can hope to just somehow find some reason, excuse, or momentary thing that helps you just endure it all. You can settle. You can shrink back. Or you can just put your head down and with year after year just press on for a very long time as you try to get past and get through. See, the truth is you can choose all of that, can't you? And I think if we're honest, a lot of people do choose that. Not always because they want to, not always because they even recognize they made the choice. Sometimes we just kind of fall into that, but that happens a lot around us. It's still a choice. But I also want you to know this. You can choose that, but you don't have to. You know how powerful the thing that is? You don't actually have to choose that. There's another choice in there. Instead of life just happening, you can choose to put your faith in a God who gives life to you as a precious gift that's meant to be fully lived and it's there and it's for you just like it is for all of us because he's big enough to hold all that complexity. You can wake up as, each day as someone, as someone not who must endure the events of the day but rather someone who is fearfully and wonderfully made, who is built with uniqueness and strengths and skill sets and experiences and a past and, and all kinds of things, things we've learned and things we've unlearned along the way so that you could be exactly the person who sits in the middle of your existence that is right here and right now to step into whatever the next phase, moment, second of this life that you hold actually is. And you can Cherish all that and hold that and step into it. And you know what else you can choose to know? You can choose to know that Christ is in it with you. And not just like a casual observer through, you know, a telescope being like, look at you go. No, he's holding it all together. Holding you exactly to be you. And you'd be like, even my flaws? And I'd be like, apparently your flaws aren't just drifting off into some other dimension. They're with you. Christ is holding it all together. You are exactly the person you need to be right now to step into whatever it is that Christ has in front of you. And you can live out of that and it will dramatically change the way you engage your life. And there's a part that's amazing to me where I'm like, this has been there all along. How old is this book of the Bible we're reading? How old are some of these understandings of things? Sometimes we just need a reminder. Sometimes we just forget. You are not for nothing. Now, here's the thing. I could end right here. But here's my belief. If some of you guys were like, wow, that was really interesting. And then you'll go and we'll all just step back into life as we were living it previously. So I want to ask you a question that I would actually love for you to wrestle with. It's a big question. It's about as big as the one that I asked the gentleman in Borders, but I want to trust you with it. And it's this. What do you uniquely want to bring to your life? What I'm not saying is, what must your life be and where does it need to go? And all of these like, go write the script for yourself. That's not what I'm saying. The life that you're living right now, if nothing changed, tomorrow you woke up and simply stepped into the life that's already there for you. I just want you to wrestle with this question. What is there out of how God has uniquely made you, out of that fearfully, wonderfully made creation, who will be sustained through that thing? What do you uniquely want to bring to your life? Wrestle with it. What skills, what strengths, what talents, what abilities, what experiences, what understandings, what compassion, what empathy, what joy, what do you uniquely want to bring to your life? 
Let me say this, if you work in a job or you go to school and so you're studying and you're writing papers and either way, either of those two things are that you go somewhere for like eight hours of time so that you can check a box that says I worked a full day and get a paycheck and that's all that that thing is to you now. I'm not saying it needs to give you purpose or complete you or any of these things. I'm saying you're loaded with purpose and intention. What would you want to bring to it? What goodness is there that you want to bring to it? Is there a love for people? Your job doesn't have to change for you to love the people in it. Do you know that? Some of you are like, well, some people need to change if I'm going to love the people in it. I, I get it, but also, does God not call us to love the people who are easy to love and difficult to love? Are we supposed to parse that out, or do we just bring the love we have to wherever it is we go? Is it a passion for excellence? Is there some part of you that just brings this uniquely to that thing? Is it a sense of fun? I can't tell you how important a sense of fun is in the workplaces and things that help us all breathe and move together and engage. Is it a unique perspective or skill set or gifting that you have simply because you're you? You're the only one like you that shows up to work, the only one that's lived in your shoes? Don't just endure life, guys. Bring who you are to your life because God created you to do it and is holding you together through it. Or for the parents in the room that perhaps have gotten lost along the way and you're going, man, I feel like I'm on autopilot trying to keep a kid alive and fed and everybody doing all the things and I've lost myself. First, can we just acknowledge it is normal to feel that way sometimes? If you could talk to every parent in this room, they would be like, yeah, yes, me too at some point or another. But can you also remember that there's uniqueness to who you are? God made you with specific desires, intentions, all these things that we've been talking about. And you don't need to be the perfect parent. Like you can put down the magazine and the image that you're holding yourself up to. You just need to be the person God created you to be because you're the right person to uniquely love the kid that you have. What is that? What do you bring to that? What energy would you like to show up to in that capacity? And also if that's you, and this is true for all of us that have just settled into one role and feel like we are in that box now, no matter what your life looks like, for all of us, may you also remember that you are a parent or a friend or a spouse or a student or a teammate, whatever, all those different roles we play. You are all of those things and all of those are containers, so to speak, all those environments where you can bring the best of what God has made you the best of how he has shaped you as he sustains you to it. There's opportunity all around us. There's life waiting to be expanded because you brought something amazing to it because that's how God has made you. Friends, in lieu of what sometimes the world around us can feel like, it can sometimes feel like a complicated and frustrating world and even at this moment can have us looking at our lives and going like, I mean, I don't want to get my hopes up or I don't want to get excited about something or I don't want to make plans because what if it's all for nothing? And you can almost feel like who you are within your own life feels on hold. Know this. The measure of a life well lived is rarely based on the circumstances we encounter along the way. It's a part of life, but it's not based on that. The measure of a life well lived is choosing to bring the best of who we are to the lives we were given, regardless of our circumstance. It's the gift that you, give, you get to give away regardless of what the world gives to you. It is choosing with each day to simply rise to your own occasion and to step into the life that only you will ever live. It's a powerful thing. The good news is, is if you feel like for whatever reason you've lost it along the way, you haven't. You couldn't. There's not a displaced atom upon you. <laughs> He's holding it all together. It's still there. It's still in you. 
question is, will you pause to reflect upon that? Will you make the choice to bring that to your world? Will you embrace life as the unique creature that is you in a way that displays the mastery and the artistry and the intention and the purpose and the goodness and the glory of the God who made you? That's life. If you're sitting here today and you're wondering, is my life for nothing? I would just love to tell you, well, absolutely not. Not only is your life not for nothing, friends, there's good news, and it's this. You are not for nothing. And I am excited to see what each and every one of us continue to step into as we navigate through the coming year. Let's pray. God, we love you. We trust you. You are so complicated. And I mean that in a really beautiful way, Lord. You make things with such intricacy and complexity, Lord. We marvel at your wonder. And I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see ourselves that way, Lord. That we would see the potential you've placed within us and see your partnership in this life, God, and help us just to have our eyes opened, our hearts opened to the opportunity in front of us to bring life to our life, God. I don't know what it'll look like, and I'm sure it's different for each person here. Give us wisdom, give us guidance, give us friends and people to come alongside and cheer us on and share story and help urge us forward. But above all, Lord, I pray for each and every person here. May we each know what it is to live a very full and beautiful life as the precious gift that you've given. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.